When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I come out like all dressed up, ready to go. And this dude just jumps out of bed and like, I don't even think he had a t-shirt on, like just in his skivvies. And I was like, well, here we are. And that's the thing. Don't feed the trolls, man. Don't feed the trolls. It's so tempting, but just let the comment go. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Survival Show podcast with Craig and me, David, where it's our job to take you step by step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear. You need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster and show you how to use the lessons you learned today to thrive in your life tomorrow. And today, Dave and I will be joined by our good friend and guest, Tim Carpenter, from Everyday Tactical Vids, a very popular YouTube channel, one of my favorite, believe it or not. As we cover a wide range of topics, including number one, the interesting story of how Tim and I met through David. You're going to love this story. It involves underwear. Then we're going to have a discussion on the top 10 most probable emergency disaster survival situations that we all need to be prepared for, including the essential mindset, skills, tactics, and gear. We all need to thrive in these 10 scenarios. We're going to discuss the difference between real survival and survival fantasy, sometimes maybe called hobby. And I think our listeners will be interested to know what it's like to be a YouTuber, since all three of us, David, Tim, and myself, are YouTubers. We'll talk about that a bit. And if tradition holds, and I'm guessing it probably will, David's going to try to stump. Are you going to try to stump both of us or just me? I'm going to try and stump both of you. Not going to happen. Try to stump us with lightning round questions. Me and Tim are going to crush those questions, I'm telling you right now. But, but. Listen up, everybody. Before we get into all that sweet content, you need gear. I need gear. We all need gear, right? And you can get affordable gear. And hey, guess what? Squirrel season here in Kentucky starts in about two weeks. Deer season starts a month after that. All kinds of hunting season happen all over the country. You can get some gear for hunting, for backpacking, for hiking, for camping, whatever you want to this fall at thesportsmansguide.com right now. Trust me on this. Every day when we do these recordings, I make sure I hop over on sportsmansguide.com and see what's going on, see if there's anything new. And today they have 600 new products that they've uploaded. They've got 500 things that they've marked down to get out the door on clearance. There's hunting stuff. There's new stuff in archery. And best of all, from my perspective right now, they're big supporters of the Second Amendment. So they got deals on guns, ammo, and accessories. So use the link in the description to go over to sportsmansguide.com right now. Save time, save money, and find everything you need for the outdoors at Sportsman's Guide. Fantastic. Thanks, Craig. Now, for those who are tracking along with us in the Tiny Survival Guide, today we'll be bouncing between Section D, Probable Threats, Section E, Survival Mindset, and Section R, Worst Case Threats. And for those of you who don't have your Tiny Survival Guide yet, you can pick yours up on Amazon or at tinysurvivalgear.com. Okay, let's get into this. Let's do this.
Now, guys, Craig and I are very excited to bring in the wise one, Tim Carpenter, the host of the popular, very popular YouTube channel, and Craig, one of my favorites also, Everyday Tactical Vids. So, Brother Tim, how are you doing today? I am doing well, my friends. And I was just thinking, we we really haven't talked a lot since SHOT Show, I feel like, this past year. Yeah, and this was like the first SHOT Show in a long time that you and I haven't hung out or yeah. like roomed together, right? Yeah, because yeah. I finally, after about knowing you for like almost a decade, I finally met your wife. I was wondering. I was wondering. <laughs> you were wondering if she was real. <laughs> She is. Yeah. She came with me to SHOT Show. That was awesome. Uh, It's cool to have her meet a lot of people in the industry. And then we got a chance to go out and spend some time in the desert and shoot a survival video out there. So it was cool. It was cool to do that. And I always thought you were an extrovert until I met her. Yeah, that's true. That's true. (laughs) Is she an extrovert like on steroids or something? She's a... I think she's actually probably like a extroverted introvert, but she's just really good with people. And David's joke with me is that I, I'm not so, but we'll, we'll see. We'll find out by the end of this podcast if I'm any good. We'll see. Now for everyone listening, our original guest today, which was supposed to be Bob Gaskin, the founder of MRE Nation, he had to cancel at the last minute. So we had Tim scheduled for next week, but he rearranged his mega busy schedule to come in today. So... Thank you, Tim. I really appreciate it. Tim, as we get started, um, just if you don't care, can you share everyone with everyone some of your background, your personal experience, and what brought you to starting Everyday Tactical Vids? Give us a scoop, my friend. Yeah, so I, I mean, I've always been an outdoor enthusiast. Um, did a lot of things growing up, you know, fishing and canoeing and cross-country skiing, hiking, backpacking. Um, went to college and then started actually taking some classes. I minored in outdoor education. And when I was at school at Ithaca College in Ithaca, New York, right next door is Cornell, and they have a huge, huge outdoor ed program. And they were hiring people to teach um, wilderness survival skills, which is, I I mean, this was back in like the mid 90s. Uh, It was kind of a weird skill set. Not a lot of people were into it. And so because I had kind of self-taught in that area, I was able to get a job. So I taught wilderness survival skills. I think we called it um, Native Native American survival skills back then because a lot of it was primitive-based, less about gear and more just about going into the woods with very little. And so I did that for multiple semesters and then started to build some relationships and started doing seminars and things like that. Um, And then college and after college started to travel and do a lot of things in the outdoors from uh, Acadia National Park and the White Mountains up in New Hampshire in the winter out to the Sierra Nevadas and Sequoia, Death Valley, the Rockies. And so I've had a chance just just been blessed to be able to travel around and do a lot of um, a lot of outdoor activities. And then um, I would say it was probably been about six years ago. I started getting into more of um, everyday carry, uh, kind of learning more about the tactical community. And um, that really challenged me to think about like, am I ready and maybe we'll talk about this later, but am I ready for not like necessarily the apocalypse, but you know, a huge ice storm comes to New Hampshire. Is my family, am I prepared? Am I prepared to help them and others? And so that pressed me into not just wilderness survival, but everyday preparedness. And that's where the channel came from talking about being, um, trying to live tactically every day, meaning tactical. Uh, one of the definitions is 
to gain an advantage. And so how do you gain an advantage in everyday life with gear, with mindset, skills, tactics, all those different types of uh, things. So I think, I think we're coming up on seven years or right around seven years of doing the channel. Nice. Now before this, Tim, you had a, did you have a paintball channel? I think right around the time we met, you had just been closing down like a, was it a paintball channel? Yeah, I was doing so. Uh, I've got a couple buddies of mine and um, every year like it's like seven of us go away. And these guys are, a lot of them are in full-time, um, full-time vocational ministry. So pastors, missionaries and stuff. So we get together for a week retreat once a year to do some study time and do reflection and just to, you know, spend some time uh, relaxing together. And one of my buddies introduced me to airsoft about probably eight or nine years ago. And I started listening to podcasts and found out that there was nothing in New England. And so I actually started an airsoft podcast and I had that going for about five years. It was called CQB radio, like close quarters battle radio. Um, and then I just sort of reached out to companies saying, Hey, I'm doing this thing. Do you want me to promote products and such? And as it, as it happens, sometimes there's a crossover between, I mean, you'd be amazed how much money people will spend on tactical gear to go play in the woods with airsoft guns. <laughs> so these companies carried some high-end gear, which that really shifted me into like less about airsoft and more into like the real the real deal stuff. So I already had an in to some of the outdoors and tactical community from experience, and then also just from the airsoft thing. Then the airsoft uh, podcast faded out, and I jumped into doing the YouTube stuff with everyday tactical vids. I did not realize that you had a podcast like that. I knew you did some things with airsoft. I just didn't realize that you did the podcast too. That's really cool. And that was Glad way back in the day. Yeah, that was that was uh let's see, like early early two thousands, maybe like two thousand five, two thousand seven, sometime around there. Um and yeah, I mean and I just I like said I'm gonna do a podcast. So I just started doing research and finding free audio online and downloading all kinds of uh whatever I could find that was free so I don't have to pay for a lot of stuff. Um but there was not a lot of people doing that in New England, and so that was the cool thing is that when there's not a lot of people in the market in your area. That means people who want to promote things and promote products and promote, you know, events, they definitely want to reach out to you because there's no other, there's no other venue, you know? So, so it's, it's fairly obvious. You guys have known each other for quite some time or not obvious from my perspective. You want to tell us how you guys met? Is there a story there or is it just kind of bland or what's going on? Yeah, David, you, you share you. I mean, I, th- you, I think you're, you originally reached out to me or maybe I emailed you because of your website. Like, tell me how to, to remind me how it started. Yeah, I was going to ask you the same thing. I th- I think we were you were just wrapping up your airsoft channel, and you had started at, onto the uh, everyday tactical vids, and I had been going maybe a year and a half or so. So we're talking about like probably two thousand late two thousand eleven, maybe two thousand twelve. One of us reached out to each other, and I think it was maybe the fact that I had a Bible and a bug out bag or, or some sort of a kit. Somehow we made the connection that we were both Christians. And I think that was it. And I don't know if it was you or I don't know if it was me that reached out and we just kind of hit it off right from the beginning. And we, ever since then, I think we went to shot show. Maybe it was, I'm going to say it was probably 2013 was the first shot show. We kind of hung out most of the time together. And uh, from there it was just, kind of like you and Craig now, you know, we were just tight. So uh, yeah. is that how you remember it, dude? Yeah, I actually, I remember Craig, this is actually kind of funny because 
if you've ever seen one of like David's old school videos with him breaking a window of a uh, of a car from the inside with a uh, with a with a knife, I was like, "Who is this whack job who broke a real car window with a knife?" I was like, "This guy's nuts!" I'm like, "I got to check out his channel." So I went and I was like, "Oh, this is really good production level." So I, you know, I started to glean some glean some ideas from him, and then looked at his website, and then I think that's what we did. I think I emailed you, David, and then. We made a connection. Then we did some work together with a couple different uh, knife companies. We yep, we and, then, and yep. then Shot Show. Yeah, you did some script writing for a knife company that had hired us to do videos for them. Yeah, that's awesome. So I've got to ask this because I know there's a story here. And Craig, you can kick in here at any point you want. But now the question everybody wants to know, can you tell me? How <laughs> the two of you met. <laughs> go ahead, Craig. Go, Tim. Now you go ahead. <laughs> All right. So here's the, I'll, I'll tell you my perspective on how it happened. Then Craig can give you his perspective. So I was going out to Shot Show. Let's see. This is 2019. So was it 2018? Was it la- the year before? It was 2018. Yep. Yeah. So, so, so David. <laughs> One thing you know about you get to know about David is that he is he is a dreamer and he makes stuff happen, but sometimes it happens at the eleventh hour. And so I'm like, okay, where are we staying, David? What hotel? Like, what what room am I in? He's like, just text me when you get there. So I fly into Vegas. I text him. He's like, go to this hotel. So I show up at the hotel. He's like, I got a couple different rooms. I said, all right, great. So I go to the room that David's in. He's like, oh yeah, I'm staying here with with Ben. And I'm like, oh okay. So where where am I staying? He's like, oh, you're staying down downstairs with Craig. It's 11 o'clock at night. I never met this guy before in my life and I'm staying with him in a hotel room and I'm like, oh, well, hopefully he's legit, you know, but like, (laughs) I know he's like kind of a ninja. So man, man, I need to sleep with a weapon. We'll see how it goes. But so I get into the room and Craig's not there. And I'm like, so I text David. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, I don't know, man. He's like, you know, his flights got delayed or whatever. So I'm trying to, I've been flying for like, you know, all day, basically it feels like I'm waiting and waiting, waiting. I'm like, I'm just going to go to sleep. So I pass out. Eventually I hear somebody come in the room, probably like three in the morning. And the next day we get up because you got to go to the show. You know, you get up probably six o'clock to start getting ready for the show to go to range day, whatever. I get up and I look over at the bed next to me. Uh, you know, there's like two queen size bed and there's a dude in it. I'm like, oh, all right, that's, so that must be Craig. So I like, you know, go to take a shower. I come out like all dressed up, ready to go. And this dude just jumps out of bed and like, I don't even think he had a t-shirt on, like just in his skivvies. And I was like, well, here we are. <laughs> so I was like, I'm Tim. He's like, I'm Craig. I'm like, well, this can only get less awkward. So let's move forward from there. From there. Is that how you remember it, Craig? That is exactly how I remember. Okay. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember <laughs> avoiding the close body bro hug for certain. It was just a handshake. Yes, I was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, standing there in my underwear is not a good way to meet somebody for the first time. But yeah, it worked out. It worked out. I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're here now, that's for sure. That's right. That's right. I agree. I agree. And it was it was funny too, because like pretty quickly. Like David and I have a uh, always have like this back and forth that happens when we're at Shot Show, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I got somebody on my team now who can actually <laughs> enga- engage with David as well. So when David's like, I'll be there eight eight o'clock and eight fifteen, he's not there. I'm like, all right, Craig, I'll go get him this time. It'll be all right. So <laughs> exactly, yes, sir. exactly. All right, guys. So now it's pretty interesting that in a, I'm going to say a very direct way we all know each other because of YouTube and you know, it's kind of like an interesting class of a job description. Like when people ask me what I do and it, 
at first when I said, Hey, I'm a YouTuber. I mean, that's kind of one thing I do. People just kind of looked at me. Now it's like this weird job description, I guess, that, that each of us carry in, in certain different ways. So why don't we each share briefly how we ended up on YouTube? And, and I guess, Tim, you, you already kind of sort of did that, but I'll let you kind of start there. And then let's get into and share a little bit about what it's like to be a YouTuber. But Tim, once you fill in any gaps that you didn't already cover and then Craig jump into that. Cause I think you have an interesting story on all this too. Yeah. For me, it's interesting because, you know, I do a lot of gear reviews now um, and I'm trying to shift back into doing more teaching and instruction um, on YouTube. Um, but, but that was my heart too, is that saying, you know, like when you know how to stay alive in the woods pretty effectively that you want to help other people know how to do that too. So they can enjoy time in the woods, but also, accidents happen. You're out there with all the best intentions. You twist your ankle, you, you bust your leg while you're out hunting and now you're stuck in the woods for 48 hours. You know, maybe something of what I can offer on YouTube will help people to be safe and to get through a, a dangerous situation. Um, and then on the other side of just everyday preparedness, um, you know, as a, so my full-time job is being a pastor and part of what we always talk about in church is loving God and loving your neighbor. And so part of loving your neighbor is helping people out when they're in tough times. And so, you know, like having a good headlamp, having a set of flares and knowing how to change a tire is a skill set that when somebody's stuck on the side of the road, you can reach out and help to them. And so I use YouTube as a as a platform to instruct people and teach people some skills, talk about gear, talk about, you know, mindset when it comes to saying, all right, if we're going to if we're going to help other people, it's not going to just be random. It's going to be because we're prepared to reach out and be, be of assistance to others. So I really see it as a uh, teaching, inspiration, instruction platform. Nice. So Craig, how did you get into YouTube? Well, I came about it in a real roundabout way. I was, uh, it started Nature Line School in 2006. And when I say started, it was just a few friends that were doing some things under my instruction as best they could. Uh, basically I've been teaching martial arts for a long time and martial arts students were asking me to do some things in the outdoors. And so I started doing that and and a friend of mine who had been a primitive skills instructor uh, was in a big box outdoor store here in Kentucky. And he, this guy's got, you know, he's, he's always got some kind of deer antler or hippo tooth or something hanging on his neck. I mean, he's one of those guys. And he ran across another fellow by the name of Matt, Matt Longley. And Matt uh, asked him if he knew things about the outdoors because Matt Longley was starting a company called Dan's Depot. And Dan's Depot was going to be an online retailer of survival goods. And he asked this guy, my friend, John, hey, would you like to do some video work with us? And the guy said, no, but I know the guy who would. And he got him in contact with me and I met up with Matt. And for about two, two and a half years there, I was the content creator of blogs and video content for Dan's Depot. And that included both uh, videos on their gear that they were selling, as well as just educating people, much like Tim is describing as well. And from there, I started my own YouTube channel that coincided with my school, Nature Reliance School. And most of the videos early on were just supplements to uh, promotional material for classes, just to educate people on what they should expect in a class. And then that continued to grow. The Dan's Depot project came to an end. And so I started putting everything over to Nature Reliance School and have been doing that ever since. 
So at this point, uh, YouTube is just a catch. I was wanting to try to make money off of YouTube, but um, Tim may be finding this now, but typically people on YouTube are real focused in on gear. And so that gets a lot of exposure. And when you start educating people, it's not as fun. It's not as entertaining. It's not as, I don't know what it is, but it's not as much. So I can do a gear review and get twice the views as I do on an education type video. And so, uh, but my, you know, I'm an educator. I'm not a entertainer at all. So, uh, my videos are all for the most part education as much as they can be, but, uh, I've gotten in a habit now of trying to throw in some more entertaining things here and there just to have fun with it. And so that's where I am now, David, since you're, you know, like got a lot of subscribers on YouTube, tell us, how'd you get there? Yeah. So back in the day. Probably, gosh, I've been an entrepreneur since almost after I got out of college. And while my family was growing up, I, I worked at, which is just down the hill from here, what was a Inc. 500 company at the time. I worked for 10 years in product development, marketing, video production, online training development and stuff for this particular company. And I had a mentor through them who was helping me develop some online training modules. And this is like 10, 12, 13 years ago when you kind of had to piece together your own systems for delivering that sort of stuff. And he said to me one day, David, you really should be doing, having a side hustle and doing some of this stuff on your own. You can do it. So after meeting with him a couple of times, I started exploring some different models. I didn't want employees, products, or hassles. So I was looking at some models where you could do some educational or gear review training in the outdoor space and not, you know, just make some money. And I, I was looking at, you know, Amazon affiliate links and, you know, selling some online courses, stuff like that. The models that I checked out failed. I was spending, I was going to work. Of course, I was doing this on the side, which I recommend to anybody if you're going to get into being self-employed. And because my first couple of models, the first, I, I'm going to say three, four, five, six months, it failed. Like I was excited because one day I made 50 cents and the next day I made a, a buck 25. And after about three weeks, I, my wife said, you're burning a lot of time here. And I said, but I've made like $15 and <laughs> 47 cents. And she said, I think you need to do something else. So a buddy of mine named Derek. Derek said, dude, YouTube is where everything's going. He's 20 years my younger. He worked with me at this particular company and he's an innovator. He's got a very, very successful online business himself now. He said, you need to be on YouTube. You need to take some of these written reviews on these websites for different gear and make YouTube videos. So I went up in the, went up in the bedroom, took a headset mic like we're using for this podcast and a recorder. And I took one of those reviews and I just improvised it was just a written review on a website, improvised it. Uh, totally, totally back in the day, I stole all the photos for it because I didn't even have a good camera back then and made a slideshow. And it was on the, I think it was the Gerber LMF2. I put that out there. And like you said, Craig, it was a gear review. It was, it was terrible. It's not even on Ultimate Survival Tips YouTube channel. But I, one day I got 100 views. The next day I got 150 views. It kept going and going. And I said, huh, probably a fluke. I did another one. 
I did a, another review on the uh, Gerber Prodigy. Same thing happened. About two weeks later, I got a phone call from Gerber and they said, hey, we noticed that you're reviewing some of our gear. Mind if we chat? So I started talking to them. They suggested some things. I worked out an arrangement and they said, hey, we'll give you some gear if you want to review it. So right about then I started Ultimate Survival Tips and I started reviewing a lot of Gerber gear because I couldn't afford it and they were giving it away to, for me, to me for free. And I, I'm just going to say, honestly, I probably rode on the coattails of Bear Girls gear for maybe the first six or eight months because that was big at the time. And uh, that really kind of launched Ultimate Survival Tips. And here we are today. So guys, what Craig, you mentioned a little bit about this, just maybe the challenges of being a YouTuber now. So I'm, I'm guessing we have some people that are listening now and saying, wow, it's just kind of like there's, that would be a really cool thing to do. You want to share maybe some, from both of you guys, your perspective, some pros and cons on what it's like to be a YouTuber and what it means today and maybe a historical context if you have any. Hmm. You want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Tim. Okay. Me. All right. From my perspective there, you've got to look at if, if there's a, there's a few ways to be successful, but one way that you can be successful that makes you happy is from my perspective is to look out there and find a need for people that you feel is ethical and then do everything you can to fill that need. And that way, when you lay down to go to bed every night, then you know you're helping meet other people's needs. And that's that's not a bad way to start a YouTube channel. If you see that there is a need in the YouTube space that nobody is filling and you can fill that space, then that's probably a good reason to go ahead and do it. If it's you want to start a YouTube channel because you think you're going to get 2 million subscribers and make a lot of money off of it, then I don't know that that's a real good reason to start a YouTube channel. Um, not to say that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying if you're feeling that need, then you, you'll feel fulfilled. And if you feel fulfilled, you'll continue to work hard when it gets hard to work. Cause it's not easy being a YouTuber. Uh, it's not, it seems like it's a lot of fun. seems like it'd be a lot of easy, but there's a whole lot of stuff that goes in, into being a successful YouTuber. And I don't know that I would call myself a successful YouTuber. I just happen to be on YouTube. I'm an educator and YouTube is a platform for me to be able to educate people. So whether I get 10 views or I, whether I get 2 million views, then I'm going to continue to put some stuff up on social media platforms because it, I know for a fact that it does help educate people. So that's kind of where I am. Yeah, I mean, I would I would speak to the gear thing you were talking about before. I would just say to people, particularly because I think a lot of folks like gear and they want gear, but I would say if the reason you're on YouTube is because you want to get a lot of gear, the thrill will um, dissipate quicker than you expect. Um, it's cool to get the gear, and then all of a sudden you're looking at a pile of stuff and saying, I can't believe I have to do all these reviews. I can't believe I have to get out and shoot videos and all these things. And you get less of a chance to use the gear and really enjoy it and experience it. And more like, all right, I just got to bang through these videos and get the next one done, get the next one done. So there's got to be something deeper than just you get lots of cool toys to play with, whatever it is, outdoor stuff or technology things. And one, yeah, one thing that happens, Tim, and we, we can both attest to it because the gear was cool up front. And a lot of people are like, wow, I can get some free gear. But anytime somebody gives you something, there's a 
either an implied or a direct expectation. So Tim and I, what we're talking about is we both, I, I don't know if you ever got this far behind, but I, I literally had so much gear and I had people you know, contacting me, hey, where's the review that I got a year behind? And once I caught up with that, I, that was it. That was it. I was, I, I changed my policies and basically made it like, Hey, you can send some stuff, but there's no guarantee. So I think that's a really good point, And that's something people have to understand about YouTube. Yeah. And I, th- I think Craig's right up is, uh, well, I agree with that hundred percent and Craig's spot on that, you know, it has to be something deeper. And if it's all about educating and training people, um, then great. If you expect to make a boatload of cash, that's just not the reality. I would say probably two years ago, a lot of guys who I um, connect with in the YouTube community who do similar things to I do, a lot of us saw our income drop by probably 50% in a matter of two months um, just because of advertising policies and this and that. And all of a sudden you're like, for me, it's like a side hustle. It's a little something to do on the side. It's cool. It's fun. But for people who are expecting to like pay the bills with it, that that's a deal breaker right there. You got to start looking for work if that's, you know, that's where you are all of a sudden. So it is a, uh, it, there is fun to it. It's cer- there certainly are lots of cool parts about it, but it's it's still work. If you're if you're going to do a good job, it's going to be work, and you have to enjoy not just the gear. You have to enjoy the process of what you're actually doing. Yeah, I'd like to ditto that. I'd like to ditto that too, big time, because it's it got to the point where uh, even for me, I'm a lot smaller than you guys are on YouTube. Obviously, that it was. It was, uh, even for somebody like me, I, I'm, I'm no different. I got a bunch of stuff and I just, for somebody that's small, which is those that are interested in starting YouTube, you're going to get a bunch of crap that people expect you to review. And, you know, they're, they're, you know, I, I will not compromise my ethics or my integrity to just get free stuff. And so, you know, when pe- companies are sending you stuff and you're not reviewing it because it's garbage, <laughs> then, then, uh, then you don't, you don't put a lot of videos out like that like it that way. So it's early on, you, you don't get a lot of good gear. You get a lot of, you know, crap uh, stuff that you can get off Amazon for a buck 50 and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I guess the last thing I would throw out in relation to what you just said, Craig, too, is that, um, that you, you have to have a thick skin. Like it doesn't matter what a great review you do, you are going to get torn apart 10,000 times over. And uh, the phrase, you know, you may not, you may or may not know the phrase as a listener, but the phrase we as YouTubers talk about often is keyboard commandos, people who know every single thing and want to tell you every single thing, even though they've never gotten out there and really done stuff. So um, I was actually just last night, um, you guys, I don't know if you heard, but Ben from Blade HQ is taking a new job, and so he's exiting his time at Blade HQ. Did you know about no, that? I was not aware. Cool. So he's uh, he's moving on to something different. So I did a video with with him a couple years ago. Blade show us little Altoids tin survival kit, and I was just like checking some of the work we did together. And I went reading through the comments last night, and I was like, "Wow, man! If this was a bunch of years ago, I have a little tears streaming out of my eyes, probably." But I mean, people are just mean. It's just, they're just people. I mean, not just like, oh, that's not accurate. You missed the point of the video. I mean, like people are just outright mean sometimes. So you got to be ready for that. If you're going to do YouTube, it's not, they're not nice. And Tim, that was a fantastic video. Isn't that the one where you use Cheetos to catch a fish? Yeah, that's the, (laughs) (laughs) that's the one, you know, but I mean, people were like, 
that was a that was a popular comment about the Cheetos when the people are like, you know, well the water's moving, so I don't know why you need water filtration tablets. And I'm like, I you're it's not worth me trying to respond to your your comment because you're not listening, you know. But and that's the thing. Don't feed the trolls, man. Don't feed the trolls. It's so tempting, but just let the comment go. That's all really good advice. And I'm just gonna tell I'm gonna echo all that, agree with all that, and just throw in the fact that absolutely you need a you need a super thick skin. If you don't, just stay out of it. Two, it is expensive. There is a cost to it. I mean, I I can I got sponsors now and still just because of the production level of what what we do, uh it, it's at best it's a break even. So you've got to have a motivation beyond the money to do it. So that's awesome. All right, guys. So Tim, I think this whole idea about maybe it's a cultural thing. Well, it is definitely a cultural thing. Just the division in our culture. People sit at home and they've watched so many YouTube videos that they're they're fantasy experts in survival now or whatever. Whatever it is, we're all armchair quarterbacks, right? I think this brings us up to a topic that you had mentioned that we could talk about. So before we get into 10 or 12 of the most probable common disaster emergency, potentially survival situations that we'll get to here, why don't we talk through this whole topic of real survival versus survival fantasy? And and maybe, Tim, you can transit, transition us from where we're at into this topic, and we'll just throw it back and forth a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing for me is I, uh, I think Craig and I are, I mean, all three of us are cut from the same cloth in this. I just know that when we were at SHOT Show, Craig and I had conversations about this just sitting up at night and chatting. But, you know, the zombie apocalypse, the end of the world thing, um, it, there's a weird part of people that seem to be hoping for that. And I'm like, that that's A, the zombie apocalypse, like, we'll come back to reality whenever you want to join us. Secondly, like, total government breakdown that is not what you want, you know? So that's not the survival stuff we should be hoping for. And what we're, excuse me, what we really should be playing for is like, what happens if I'm out hiking and by some chance I get lost? What if somebody I care about is out hunting and they get turned around or, you know, they have a medical emergency and they're staying out overnight? That's realistic survival. So, um, all the uh, fanciest gear and the fanciest knife and the biggest this and the biggest that or the greatest backpack. I'm like, I want to, I want something to start a fire and I want something to keep the rain off me more than I need the ultimate zombie slayer machete. And so that's where that line comes. We can all agree that certain things are fun when it comes to realistic survival. I want to, I want to help people get better at staying alive, not living in a fantasy world. So that's, that's my, and, and as Craig said, it's not nearly as popular people want to talk about end of the world stuff and less about what could actually happen if, you know, you really get lost in the woods or something. Man, I don't think I could agree any more than I do with what Tim just said. And and I use this word hobby more than anything. It seems like that people utilize the practice of bushcraft in particular, but survival as well as a hobby. And again, there's nothing wrong with it as long as it's ethical and and you're enjoying it, especially if you engage those that are around you and your family and what have you. However, there, there needs to be some realism applied to it so that we know what survival actually looks like. And we've talked about this several times on the show. I've talked to other authors about it several times. What is, what's true survival? That's a big question. What's true survival? Well, we survive every day. We make decisions and we do things and we live lives in a certain way that we are surviving right now. We do it every single day. 
And the, from my perspective, true survival are the, the wilderness type events that Tim just mentioned along with, I would like to add in disaster readiness type events like tornadoes, earthquakes, hurricanes, and the things that go along with those because, you know, your bushcrafting hobbyist is not ready for a hurricane to come blasting into their state just because they go out and whittle a couple of sticks and make a fire and, you know, make, you know, sassafras tea or something. You know, these, these are just, that's a hobby and that's fun. It's, it's camping, it's getting out of the woods. It's very good for you, uh, body, mind, and spirit to get outside and enjoy the outdoors. However, uh, we just got to recognize, and, and I try to do a good job as best I can to help people recognize that that hobby is what you guys were calling fantasy. It's not real. And uh, it's difficult for some people to differentiate between the two. And, and I do what I can to help people. And obviously, uh, Tim's saying that he does too. And what I've seen, that's one of the things that got me connected with Tim before we ever met at SHOT Show is it wasn't too long before SHOT Show, Tim, that I wrote you about that one top 10 list that you did. Is that right? Do you remember that? Yeah. 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 Tim yeah. did a top 10. I can't even remember what it is now, Tim, but it was something I thought, man, this cat knows what he's doing. And I wrote him on YouTube. I didn't know who he was at all. And he had put together 10 silliest things about survival or something. And that's my kind. Yeah. It was like the top 10 lies about survival. Yeah. That's my kind of, that's my kind of video. Um, but, uh, that was good. That was good. I like that kind of stuff. And that, and that was back. I I knew of you because of Dan's Depot. I was in the process of connecting with Dan's Depot and I was like, Oh, I recognize this guy. He's the dude from Dan's Depot. So when you commented, I remember saying to my wife, yeah, this guy's legit. He runs a school and he gave me a thumbs up on this video. So that means something's right here. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it about gear that versus training that draws our attention? And I, I guess, Craig, what I'm thinking here is this whole idea of the progression that that you've really brought to the forefront in, in everything that we do here in the podcast of mindset, skills, tactics, and then gear. What do you guys have to say about that? Well, I'll, I'll give you a, a really scientific-based answer, and that is a really science-based answer, and that is humans are tool users, and we have progressed and been able to accomplish a lot of things because we know how to utilize tools very successfully. We have a thought process that that supersedes other animals in this world, and because we have a, a great mindset on how to do things and we can utilize these tools effectively, then we can build homes and we can build cars and we can do all the things that we do with it. So naturally we tend to like things that we can utilize like that because we have been taught since birth that we progress that way. And because of that, people very naturally drift and gravitate towards gear from a scientific based perspective um, that's, that's my thought on it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I agree with Craig. I would say on a, on a psychological, sociological level is that it's also more fun to play with gear and to whittle sticks in your backyard or, you know, 50 feet away from your house than it is to go into the woods and say, what do I really need to do to challenge myself to, you know, stay alive if I was caught in a huge snowstorm or something like that. I mean, I, if you've done, if anybody's done camping or backpacking and stuff, you know, a good pair of boots is probably going to be used way more often on a backpacking trip than a really cool survival knife. 
because you're walking all the time. You know, you should be at least. If you're not walking, you had a really bad day. So like you need good boots. So that's not nearly as exciting as like a really cool knife. So I think people like gear because it's fun and it's it probably doesn't press us as much sometimes to like really learn skills and problem solve and things like that. And again, I love gear. I love gear that makes life easier and you know, it's cool to look at. I'm I think if we were honest, there's probably about a uh, 75% overlap on a lot of gear. And then the main reason we pick the gear we pick is because it looks cool. Like you're, you, you, you have a slew of, let's take LT right. You have a slew of knives that they make. And a lot of them can do a lot of the same tasks really well because it's a great knife. But people will die on the hill to say that this Genesis is the greatest knife and everything else isn't good. And I'm just like, okay, if that's the battle you want to fight, that's cool. But uh, I, it, a lot of the knives do the same thing. Craig, I know you carry a CRKT knife. You know, if you told some people that the knife you were carrying doesn't have uh, S35, you know, VN steel, they would start crying. But like, you're like, it cuts, it does the job and it's done it for years. So I don't need to buy 15 <laughs> knives, you know? So. Yeah, I really get into it. I mean, David mentioned something. Uh, I like it when we share some failures that we've made. But the the second book I wrote, Ultimate Wilderness Gear, was not a book I wanted to write. Uh, the publisher wanted me to write that book, and that was not my choice. I have to submit pitches to them on different books, and that's the one that uh, they actually made up that I did not pitch to them. And here's the response I got back, which is an interesting consideration as we're talking about gear, is that that book is not sold very well at all. And the reason it's not sold very well at all is because the people that look at it and read what it's all about and uh, the other reviews, it's, I, I've had people literally say, I wanted more pictures in the book. You, you talk about how you talk about all the pieces and parts of knives. And to go back to what you were saying earlier, Tim, I got a whole, I got about 10 pages on how to choose the right footwear. And, and because as you said, that is vital. You, you got to take care of your feet. You got to take care of core body temp and these things. And I teach people how to do that instead of buy this boot, buy this knife. And it just, you know, it's sad that people don't want to get educated on gear. They just want to just get gear. I mean, it's, it's, it's unfortunate way that this industry is going. So I think there's two concepts here that I hear you guys hinting upon. And one is, in, in that equation, Craig, of developing your mindset first, skills, tactics, and, and then talking about gear, especially when we're new to this, and it's, it's a natural progression, is that gear helps us a lot. It's a force multiplier. So when our, maybe we haven't had the experience in the mindset development and the skill development and the tactics development, gear becomes first because, or at least in our mind, because there's... I think there's a fear-based thing that can happen, especially in this outdoor wilderness survival type of genre too, where we pack for our fears. So then you've got a dude who's got the bug out bag that's going to save his life that weighs 80 pounds, right? Or 50 pounds or 40 pounds. I mean, try to carry that for a while. And so we have these two things. Gear can be fear-based. Yeah, it's really cool and it's fun to play around with stuff, but it can make up for the lack of our skills too. And I think those are two things just as far as part being part of the equation that, that I think people 
face and confront also. Well, that's why I call it a puzzle piece. Mindset skills. Uh, it's, it's a puzzle mindset skills, tactics, and gear and all four pieces of that puzzle is what's required to, ha- to have good survival. And if you forego any of them, then you have to try to make up for it with something else. And typically because people forego mindset and they forego decent skills and they forego tactics, they make up for it by buying extra gear. And if they increased and developed their mindset and their skills, then they would need less gear. Now I'm teaching an advanced survival class this weekend. I leave tomorrow morning for three days with a few guys and you know, it, it's fairly easy, but my guys in our level two survival class, you can't have more than 20 pounds of gear and, and it's remote. And I've had one guy that's emailed me about 15 times. Can I do this? Can I do that? I don't really care what you do, man. As long as it's 20 pounds or less, you can bring a, a fridge as long as it's less than 20 pounds, if that's all you want to bring. And what I'm doing is I try, I'm forcing these guys to really seriously think about their gear. And that is awkward for some people. I mean, and these are people that have already been through a good level one survival class and uh, it's, it's still difficult. Yeah. And I, I would just add to that, Craig, that I think, you know, the other piece of the puzzle, you're like, it's a force multiplier. So you're multiplying something. The question is, what is the force you're multiplying, right? Like, if I don't have a certain skill set and I'm multiplying it now with lots of gear, well, my skill set is one. Anything times one is not going to give me a lot. If my skill set is 20, well, now I'm getting a lot more bang for the buck out of it. And I and I just encourage people without, like you say a lot, Craig, like start, go to your backyard, do some, do something local. Don't do something in the middle of, you know, the deep woods, but get out and say, okay, if I was going to spend the night, what, what would I want to do and how would I make it most effective? And I'm like, if someone says, you know, here's a beautiful $500 survival knife or a tarp, I'm like, yep, tarp. That's an easy one for me. You know, <laughs> like I got to keep the rain off if someone's like, do you want to make a fire or do you want this fancy Leatherman? I'm like, nope, give me, give me some waterproof matches or a lighter or a fire steel over some fancy gear. Because at the end of the day, for me, where I live in New Hampshire, even, even this time of year, it can be cold at night. So I want something to keep the weather off and something to keep my body temperature where it needs to be. And a, lo- a large survival knife can help with those things, but that's the person who's probably often saying, well, give me a big survival knife and I'll make a bow drill. And I'm like, ah, it's not as easy as you think, my brother. You know, it's pretty challenging. I'll take a lighter before I take a bow drill. So, <laughs> well, This is really good stuff, guys. Why don't we uh, transition now and let's talk about some specific possible emergency disaster or crisis situations. And I think this transitions well from even the whole concept of what things are we going to face? Are we likely to face a zombie apocalypse or are we more likely to face a thunderstorm? And so what I did is I came up with 25 possible emergency disaster. Maybe some of them are a little bit wacky and out there. And what I'm going to let you guys do is kind of cherry pick from this list, maybe 10 or 12 of these items. And we'll discuss each one briefly. What, why you think it's, an important thing that people need to prepare for and maybe just some real quick basic preparations and, you know, starter steps people can prepare for these certain things on. So Craig, how would you like to read through this list real quick? Um, okay. So you want me to read through the list and then we'll go back and go through them one by one. We'll go back. Maybe. Yeah. We'll let, we'll let okay. Tim cherry pick the first one since he's the guest and then we'll just talk through a couple of them. Okay. That sounds good. So I'll read the list. Here they are. Active shooter a- attacks in public or at home. The next is bioterrorism, 
next cybersecurity, cyber attacks, civil unrest, drought, earthquakes, extreme heat, floods, home fires, nuclear nuclear explosion, hurricanes, nuclear power plants, pandemic, power outages, snowstorms, extreme cold, space weather, solar flares, pollution, uh, hazardous materials incidents, alien attack, thunder and lightning storms, tornadoes, vehicle breakdown or accident, volcanoes, wildfires, and then wilderness emergency, similar to uh, getting lost or something similar. All right, Tim, how would you like to pick one, cherry pick one from this list that you think almost everybody, if not everybody, ought to be able to be prepared for because it's a probable situation? Yeah, cybersecurity. You know, people get their accounts all over the place hacked all the time. So do, do you have some, some plan? Yeah, and I mean, that's, to me, I'm like, that's, everyone's connected to the internet or something somehow, you know, uh, some, some uh, computer, phone, whatever it is. So I'm talking less about, you know, uh, the entire grid goes down because Russia hacked it and more, somebody stole my credit card number and is buying stuff and now I got to deal with that. So, and if you've had that happen to you, it often, if you've got a good bank or a good credit card, um, they'll help you deal with it, but it's not done in 10 minutes. I mean, it takes days and weeks and sometimes months to get that stuff resolved. And it's, it's more just the stress and the pain of having to, to deal with it than it is like, you know, it's it, certainly people have their lives ruined absolutely by stuff like that. But I know a lot of people have just had to resolve it. It's just that, well, I'm going to be, I got to take time off of work because I got to go to the bank today to prove I really am who I am to reopen this account. It's just a lot of, a lot of work. And I, you know, the other thing I just say is that a lot of these things are going to depend on where you live. I don't deal with hurricanes and tornadoes in the Northeast, but cold weather, extreme cold, snowstorms, that's way more likely to happen where I'm around. And Craig, we did a whole podcast with your buddy there on cybersecurity and cyber attacks. Yeah. Donnie Gibbs came on, Tim. I don't know if you heard it or not, but he did a podcast with us. He's a cybersecurity, a global uh, cybersecurity expert. And, uh, and in all seriousness, that was a, the one that you just picked is the first one I was going to pick. And I don't know that I would have picked it until I was on that podcast because I have had my identity stolen and it turned out to be okay. It was sort of minor and you're right. The money I did lose from my account, I did get back and it didn't take that long. So it was a, it was such an easy process for me. I'd kind of put that in the back of my mind, but after listening to him talk about some of the things that are going on every single day, dude, cybersecurity is, is major, a major problem for everyone. If you don't know, then go back and listen to that podcast. Cause he talks about passwords and how to stay safe and, and all sorts of different things. It was really cool. So that was podcast number 30, cybersecurity, safety and survival with special guest Donnie Gibbs. So you all go and check that out. Uh, Tim, since you're on a roll here, why don't you pick another one? Yeah, I mean, again, for, from where I'm located, I would say the next big thing is going to be like power outages connected to snowstorms or extreme cold. I mean, we get we get hit pretty hard in the uh, in the winter up here. Um, one thing that always cracks me up about people in New England when the snow comes, they're like, "Oh man, it's so snowy." I'm like, "You do know you live in New England, right? Like, why why are we so surprised by that?" And the challenge for me with that is, you know, if someone's got real need or like, you know, it's a single mom or an elderly person, then that's got to be a really, really dangerous situation. So that that allows me to say if I'm prepared and my family's taken care of, 
now I've got time freed up to go across the street, to go down the street and to check on somebody who maybe doesn't have the ability to take care of him or herself in the, uh, in the same way. The one advantage we have with a snowstorm is usually that, you know, it's coming, you know, tornadoes all of a sudden, boom, they just hit. And like, that's it. It's, it's on you. You got to respond immediately. Whereas a snowstorm, they're like, well, we expect a big storm, snowstorm to hit in three or four days. You got a little time to, you know, to get outside of your house and to prep and to, you know, get to get some groceries, get some water, get some candles, whatever, whatever it is. But those are those are the big ones for about power outages connected to snowstorms or extreme cold. Yeah. Right before we started the podcast, before you were on, Tim, we we had a major thunderstorm land here. And so my comment to Craig was it's a 50 50 shot when we get a storm that lands like that. I got at least where I live up in rural north central Pennsylvania it's a 50-50 shot whether I'm going to lose electric for a couple hours or possibly a couple days up here. So, good one. All right, Craig, you're up. You have anything on power outages or anything else on cybersecurity before you pick one here? No, uh, other than I, I would have to agree 100% again with Tim. I, I know it sounds, I, I keep saying that, but this really depends upon where you are in the country. Uh, for me here in Kentucky, I mean, we have some extreme weather when I say extreme weather, it's, it's not extreme to us. Uh, 95 degree heat, humidity's high. If you get into the shade, you're probably not going to die. Our winters, we might get, we might get a foot of snow. We might only get an inch of snow and, uh, we might get down to zero. So it's, it's, it's really not that you can't die in those situations, but we don't have a lot of extremes here. Um, I guess the one that scares me more than anything, when I say scare, I shouldn't use that word, but the one that concerns me more than anything here in the state of Kentucky that would be a mass, huge disaster would be the earthquake that is going to hit us here that nobody in my part of the world ever prepares for. Because we don't have earthquakes here, but very irregularly. And the last time a big one hit was in 1812. So it's just so far in the past that people don't understand the history of it and what it's going to do. And it's a message that I, every time I teach a program, uh, whether it's one of my hands-on workshops in the woods or I teach in a lot of libraries and, and for organizations and businesses as well, disaster readiness, uh, I always preach the message of earthquakes and being prepared for them because it's going to devastate our big cities like Lexington, Louisville, Bowling Green. You know, those cities are going to be devastated. Cause we're not, pre- we're not prepared for it at all. So that, that's a big concern for me. Uh, the next would be alien attack. <laughs> uh, no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> now the next one for me would be wilderness emergencies because here in my neck of the woods, literally we're, sur- we are surrounded by forest and my good buddy, Tracy and I, um, that's what we do. We teach people about how to handle themselves in wilderness emergency. Tracy's out or the team that Tracy trembles on another instructor with nature Life school. He's out. That team is out two or three times a week, sometimes 10, 11 times a week, pulling people out of the woods that have gotten lost and turned around. And, uh, without a search and rescue team, which is all volunteer based, they would still be out there somewhere more than likely because it's simple to get out of the woods it's it's not extremely hard. However, people don't take the time to get mindset, skills, tactics, and gear right. I mean, they picked up somebody last week that went out with a pair of flip-flops, no water with a dog, and took the wrong fork on a trail and was lost for about four hours or something like that. It's 
it's just it's nonsensical it's just terrible Craig I wanted to circle back around to this is kind of like the best the best of the survival show podcast we had talked with Creek Stewart in podcast 34 that was I don't know maybe three or four podcasts ago about catastrophic events and we talked about earthquakes back then also and we talked about UFOs briefly <laughs> we didn't talk about alien attacks Tim, what would be next on your list? I'd probably say something having to do with a vehicle breakdown or an accident. Um, mm-hmm. Come on, that. Tim. That's what I was going to say this time. <laughs> I, it's great minds think alike. No joke. Can That's I just say good. that being from New York originally, being up, okay, listen to me, mister. Being from New York, being up in New England now, where we got people talking about, you know, being from Boston and talking to car. When I hear Craig say, come on, Tim, I'm like, there it is. That's what I've been waiting for the entire show. <laughs> Anyhow, um, yeah, I mean, I would say for me personally, it's once a year, at least, I would say once or twice a year where I'm around another car accident. Um, I, you know, I can just think about where I was not too long ago, not too far from the church office where I work and the lady rear-ended this big truck and her, her car took the beating. It was like Ford Fiesta and it was coming up to stoplight. She wasn't going that fast, but I got out of the car, put on my hazards, got out my flashlight, started waving cars around, went up, checked on her. She was, she was okay, but she was definitely in shock. She was like, what happened? What happened? What happened? So in that moment, I was like, I'm glad I got a flashlight. I'm glad I got a reflective vest. I learned some quick lessons too about I don't want to have it packed three layers down in a bag in the trunk. I want to have immediate access to it so I can grab it from the car and not have to open the trunk, climb into the bag, climb into the car, like, you know, dig around. I want immediate access to those things. But it's either I come across it or like somebody's in an accident, a flat tire, somebody who's on the side of the road who hasn't gotten their car the whole way off the road. So they got a tire sticking out on a road where people are doing 75 miles an hour nearby. Um, and then, you know, for me, inevitably once a year, something happens with a car where something breaks and I got to pull over on the side of the road. So those are, those are ones I'm almost certain every year I'm going to have, you know, three, four, five of those that, that pop into my life. Craig. Man, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm trying to think of the last time that I've got as close as I could to a survival related situation. And it's, I'm not seeing it's, I'm not seeing it's part of our list, but I'm going to throw it out there because just listening to Tim, listening to Tim made me think about something is I was driving home the other day. And again, I live in a small town here in Kentucky, 38,000 people or something like that here in our small town. And I'm driving down a road and about a hundred yards in front of me, I see a girl walking down the sidewalk and bam, she just collapses on the sidewalk. And it's not a busy street. It's not like it's, you know, a major thoroughfare or anything like that. I mean, I, I'm, I stopped right in the middle of the road, stopped traffic because I didn't know what was going on. I pull over, grab my first aid kit, get out. When I get there, the girl's having a seizure and she looks like, forgive me for saying it this way, but she had the appearance of a drug addict. And so you've got to, you know, if you're going to have the, the ability to what we were talking about earlier, Tim, which is, you know, my desire is to be able to help people as best I can, but I'm not an EMT. I'm not a paramedic, but I have had some fairly significant first aid and remote first aid training. You've got to be able to get out, take care of yourself. You're number one. That's the thing that's always taught in these first aid classes. I was number one in that situation. I didn't want to bring harm to myself in the business of trying to help her. And uh, I was able to give her some literal first aid 
before the EMTs got there to be able to take her to the hospital. Cause she had about five seizures while I was there. And, uh, so I was able to keep her as safe as possible, keep the traffic safe so that people weren't turkey necking and looking and seeing what was going on and, and all that stuff that goes along with it, you know, just a basic medical emergency. I think we all need to be prepared for just like we do these vehicle accidents. That is we'll put that under medical first aid. We've got wilderness, wilderness emergencies. That's two vehicle breakdown or accident. That's three power outages Four earthquakes by Craig five, six cyber attacks, which was number one. Actually, once you, uh, Tim, just pick three more quick from the list and let us know your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I would say not in my area, but hurricane and tornado are two really big ones. And then I think extreme heat is another one, you know, for a lot of uh, where people live uh, in, in the United States and around the world, there are places that get really, really hot. And so you have to be careful. Um, we don't have that same issue up where I live as much, but I mean, it can get up to 100 depending on the time of year. But it was uh, about 70 degrees here the other day. And just for kicks, I looked and it was 109 in Las Vegas at about four o'clock. And that's, if you're not taking care of yourself, staying in shade, staying hydrated, that can be really dangerous. Yeah, go for it. Active shooter is one that's, that we need to talk about because a lot of people have asked about it. That is not likely. And I, I want to be clear on that one because I think there's a, it's it, it, like David mentioned, as far as gear is concerned the other day that we or uh, uh, earlier today, he mentioned we pack our fears and a lot of people are focused in on active shooters because we've had these that have happened in the last two weeks. Cause there was one in Memphis that just did not get much airplay. And, um, and because of that, uh, you know, I, I just want to make it clear to people, you're more likely to get a hammer in the top of your head at a construction site than you are to be killed at an active shooter event. And the statistics prove that. So I don't want people to run around afraid of an active shooter, but that does not mean that we should not increase our situational awareness because increasing our situational awareness will help us with basically everything that we've talked about today whether it's a wilderness event, a vehicle accident, you know, normalcy bias is a problem. You know, you know, Tim was talking about a vehicle uh, breakdown. One of the things that I'm bad about doing, because I'm just not much of a mechanic, is I'll ignore obvious problems with my vehicle. And I let them fester instead of taking care of them early. You know, I'm not saying do that. I'm, I'm saying that that's a fail on my part. So, combating normalcy bias and increasing our situational awareness and pay attention to what's going on around us helps with every one of these things that we've talked about, uh, including active shooter. So, so we've gone through this list really quick and as a quick reference, I don't hate to mention it often because I think it's a valuable tool, Craig, and maybe you can speak to this after you know what I'm talking about, but the tiny survival guide covers a lot of these items actually in a bit more detail and in a way that makes them memorable and gives you a nice tight package that you can you can review these sorts of things. So how about a few action steps for people just on pretty much general disaster emergency preparation? Why don't you guys throw out one, two, or three each of things people can do right now this week to better be better prepared for the unexpected? Go ahead, Craig, kick it off. Yeah, number one would be if you're completely new to the idea of disaster readiness, disaster preparedness, then contact your emergency management coordinator for the area in which you live. 
Tim said it several times. I've said it a couple times that you need to know what's going on in your area. What happens here in central Kentucky is very different than what happens for Tim in New Hampshire or uh, David in Pennsylvania or, you know, our friends and or family that might be in California or Montana. And so virtually every area of the country is going to have an opportunity or some sort of emergency management coordinator that you can contact. And they'll, their whole job is based around exactly that. So that would be a good starting point. That's, that's what I would recommend for you all out there that are brand new, trying to get educated. Two, obviously, is pick up the Tiny Survival Guide, what we intended it to be as a training mechanism. And we built it in such a way that it's useful for a lot of people throughout the country. Uh, it definitely has some wilderness things, but it also has some things in it like self-defense. You know, one side story, um, and I don't want to get too far into this, but last week my daughter was involved in a car accident and fortunately nobody was hurt. Um, but it, and it wasn't her fault. She was traveling down a road here in my hometown. Somebody, uh, there were two lanes of traffic. The person that was on the inside lane waved somebody to turn in front of them. And that person went ahead and turned without recognizing my daughter was coming, pulled right in front of my daughter, hit her, uh, or my daughter ran into that person. And that person then got out and was very, very angry and very physically coming after her. And so just a matter of just driving down the road, all of a sudden now my daughter's in the situation where somebody's aggressively coming towards her. So you just, you just never know. I mean, you got to have your situation where, I mean, I'm not saying there's anything my daughter could have done. There's absolutely nothing she could have done to avoid the wreck, but she needed to be prepared to deal with this idiot that was, you know, being physically aggressive towards her. And fortunately for her, she was ready for that. Yeah. I mean, I guess just quickly, I would, that's the first thing I was going to say is that, you know, they get on FEMA, FEMA's website and you can, people have all kinds of opinions about FEMA and how they handle different disasters, but they give you at least a guideline to start thinking about, you know, how much canned food should you have? How much water should you have? You're way more likely to, it, it's simple. It's not that, it's not that hard, you know? And so, and I think sometimes people think you got to go to the high end gear. Like I'm talking about, you know, get, get a, if you got a, if you got a dark basement, get a bag of potatoes and put it in the basement, like that type of thing. Like, you know, make sure you've got a lot of canned food that lasts way longer than what the expiration date actually tells you. So that if something happens, you're, you're a little bit more prepared. I, I always think about, I like the the lineup you guys talk about with, you know, skills and tactics, mindset, all those different things. I, I think about you, your gear and your, your location. You know, it's kind of like less strouds, like zones of on my person in the immediate area and then out further. You, you're you always with yourself. So you might want to survive a huge snowstorm. But if you can't get up a set of stairs because you're not taking care of yourself, then that's the first place to that's the first place to start, you know, and uh, l- read, learn, study. I think those are good, good places to go on your own and then start looking out broader because, again, you can have all the all the dreams of doing stuff to help other people and to survive huge disasters. But if I don't know how to, you know, light the gas stove in my house, then that's gonna be that's gonna be a problem on a very basic level when the tough stuff comes. Good stuff. And you hit on this, Tim. You want to be thinking about your everyday carry. You want to be skilled with whatever tools and resources you have there. Again, the tiny survival guide's a good one because they can just slip in your wallet. A get home bag or a go bag is a good idea because Creek Stort talked about this a couple weeks ago where, you know, where are you going to be? You need stuff everyday carry. My next likely place to be is is going to be at home or in my vehicle. So you want to be able to get home or, or get to where you need to and have some 
tools and skills with that stuff there. And you want to be thinking about, especially if you're at home, if the power goes out, alternative energy solutions, battery bricks, generators, those sorts of things, which Craig, we talked about not too long ago in a podcast. So that's all good stuff, guy. You guys, you guys ready for a lightning round real quick? Let's do it in row, son. All right. So I just because I want to know both of your opinions, Craig, somehow you deferred and got out of these when we've talked about them in the past. So I want you to go first on this first one. What do you think of Bigfoot and UFOs? <laughs> all right. I want to believe that there's a Bigfoot out there just simply because I'm a woodsman and there's so many things that I've seen and had questions about that don't have answers for. I had one experience when I was much, much younger that lended itself to being a Bigfoot. And I would say that it's not a definite thing, but I don't know how else to explain it other than it was some unexplainable thing that walked on two legs that I saw. And I don't know how to explain it. So I just lumped it into the Bigfoot situation. And, um, but, but as a tracker, as a woodsman, I also have never seen any significantly, seriously good sign tracks, clues that would indicate that there's actually a Bigfoot out there. I've got to be a realist about it too. Uh, UFOs, I don't know. I think that gets into a bigger discussion on how big we think the world is and what's out there. And I think it, it eventually falls into a spiritual discussion or maybe, uh, maybe a the- theological discussion. I don't know. But uh, I think that it's very possible that there are unidentified flying objects. Well, we know that there are unidentified flying objects. Whether they are alien-driven or not, I have no idea. I think it's possible. I have never seen anything that I thought was was uh, seriously realistic from my perspective. I think a lot of what we see is just military-type stuff that, that we don't know about. That's good. Good stuff. I actually didn't know about your Bigfoot stuff. Bigfoot story. Tim. Yeah. Uh, UFOs, I would say the same thing as Craig. I think there's there there are definitely unidentified flying objects. I think it's military as far as are they driven by aliens? I'm pretty skeptical. Other other life forms out on other planets. I would say it is a deeper philosophical, theological question. I I will say that, you know, if life forms mean is there a plant maybe somewhere out there or an organism on some other planet, I'm probably pretty sure there is. Um, but the, the jury's out on on anything more significant than that bigfoot i think there's the my problem with the bigfoot question is that like people are like it's it's in uh nepal no 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 it's in washington state no it's in alabama no it's in georgia and i'm like so there's a lot of big feet out there uh in people's mind and so i think there's lots of things in the woods and particularly in the ocean that we have no idea that's there at this point um but jury's out for me on bigfoot i haven't seen anything that's convinced me to say that that's a that's a legitimate a legitimate animal the way it's portrayed currently. Okay, who is your favorite survival TV personality, Tim? Craig Cottle. <laughs> <laughs> that was easy. Oh my gosh! Hush your mouth, son. Okay, Craig's turn. No, tell me for real. Who's your favorite TV personality? Um, honestly, oh, TV. Yeah. Well, you public education, my, you know, KET doesn't, you know, Kentucky <laughs> educational television does not make me a TV personality. That makes you a TV star in my world, my friend. Um, 
No, I, I honestly, for me, it depends on what's happening. You know, like when Alone is on, I, I tend to watch Alone. Um, right now, my the only thing I have access to with Amazon Prime is old episodes of Survivor Man, and it's like season seven when he's in like India. So he's I'm watching Les Stroud right now and kind of checking out some of his stuff. So it really depends on what's what's available. I'd really like to watch more Creek stuff, but we don't have cable. We just have uh, Roku. So at some point, I'm going to have to get access to his uh, his stuff to check. Man, that's a tough one because I don't watch TV. Uh, I'm no different than Tim. We do have a Roku, but we don't we don't watch anything. I did watch the first couple of seasons of Alone, and uh, well, let me let me say this first too. Creek's been on the show. I fa- I found creek to be a really incredibly uh generous person with his knowledge so i would say even though i've never seen him on tv uh, i would say creek is probably a good one just because i know he's been really kind to me and you on the show Uh, um, i would also add in that uh the alone show which i did watch the first two seasons of and then it went where you got to have cable to get it so i haven't seen it since but uh, i like the people that get creative there and teach people, encourage people to become creative, creative in their thought processes. But, uh, I have been there. I've done 30 days twice in the woods with nothing but a knife. So uh, I really like watching those shows back then. But other than that, I haven't watched the other guys just here and there, little clips from YouTube, just to form uh, a fundamental opinion, but not a highly educated one, I guess for sure. Okay, next one is, what is your favorite book that you're reading right now? It can be an audio book if you're into that sort of thing. Um, Tomahawk and Treaties is what I'm reading right now. It's about the settling of the Ohio River Valley, uh, basically the Iroquois Federation and its effect on Native American peoples in this part of the world, how they push people out of what is now understood to be uh, Western PA and New York. And it's a really good book. It talks about, you know, the, the Native American peoples that were here in my neck of the woods, particularly here in Kentucky, the Shawnee, uh, Cherokee as well, and and how how they tried to work with those that were settling the country, the Europeans, and how it didn't work out sometimes, and sometimes it did. And when they, you know, used tomahawks to settle some of those things. Tim, how about you? I got two books I'm working through right now. One is uh, by an author named Adele Calhoun. It's called Invitations from God. And the other one I am going through for probably like the third time is Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin, which is a great book about leadership. Yes, it is. Yes, that's a good one. Okay, this is for either one of you that wants to answer. What's your most memorable shot show video clip or interview <laughs> shut up david shut up. <laughs> all right so for everybody listening there's a joke there's a text that keeps going back and forth between me and david and tim since our you know wonderful meeting back back when at shot show where a very nice young lady she was very nice she was a representative at shot show of a knife company and uh if you've never been to SHOT Show, you're <laughs> not, not to be mentioned ever <laughs> what that knife company is. <laughs> I'm not going to say the company at all, but a lot of times what they do is, and it's a very busy time and there's a lot of people that come through. So that was the first time I'd ever been. So I gather that they have to hire some people that really don't have a lot of experience with their products. And so this woman, this nice lady, uh, she was very nice as a person. She did not have much experience in she said something about, you can use this knife to cut arteries. <laughs> so Tim, being Tim, 
put that in a cutting arteries, arteries, arteries loop video that we get passed around. So yeah, it is probably <laughs> one of the funniest video clips I've seen in a long time. Oh man. I have laughed and cried at that clip so many times. All right. Last question before Craig, you take us out of here. What is each of your favorite piece of everyday carry gear? Craig, actually, we know this. I want to hear what Tim's is. I want to hear what Tim's is. Well, I i mean, by the nature of testing a lot of gear, I tend to rotate between uh, gear. I just put up a video. I mean, I've got uh, dozens and dozens of folding knives, but I just put up a video that was like my top 20 that over the past basically decade, I keep going back to again and again and again. So my favorite knife of all time is, is the Benchmade Griptilian that I bought my with my own money before i was working with any companies spent a hundred bucks and it's been a great knife for a long time um on my keychain i've always got a uh i'm looking at it right now I've got an exotech fire steel that i carry on my keychain and an olight i1r eos flashlight which is half the size of a uh chapstick and it puts out over 100 lumens i think so those are things i always always have with me for everyday carry flashlight knife wallet extra flashlight fire steel. Good stuff. Thanks, Tim. Tim, thank you so much for being with us. And Tim, can you tell the guys how they can get in touch with you, how they can find your stuff, what you got going on? And if there's anything new and cool that's coming up, let us know that right now. Yeah. So YouTube is Everyday Tactical Vids, V-I-D-S. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Vero, Facebook as well. Tend to do a lot of our giveaways over on Facebook's giving away gear. Um, I am just getting some graphics back from a guy who's designing them for me, and I'm going to be doing a series called the Everyday Tactical Vids Worldview, where we talk about things connected to you, your gear, and your location, and really kind of a uh, how, how to think about living in this world so you can care for yourself, care for others uh, with the highest level of skill and advantage that you could possibly do. So that's a that's a new series I got coming up soon, and that's. To Craig's point, it's going to be a lot more teaching and instruction, um, but I feel pretty strongly about it that this this I want to help people. That's my ultimate goal. I just don't want to talk about gear. So that's something I'm a, uh, I'm excited about coming up soon. Tim, that's awesome. Thanks for being with us. Please come back again. Yeah, thanks for having take me, guys. This was great. Craig. Craig, you want to take us out of here? Yeah, thanks again, Tim. Appreciate you always. Always appreciate the funny text you send my way. So keep at it. Keep doing what you're doing. So, guys, we're going to close it out here. You can go over to Amazon and you can see a, see a link for those down below to get your own tiny guide. We touched upon several sections from the Tiny Survival Guide today. If you go over there and do that when why would you not? Fantastic. Please leave us a five-star review over there for the Tiny Survival Guide. Also, remember to, to subscribe and share this podcast and leave us a five-star review as well there because that helps us tremendously. And, hey, that is free. So again, why not click the links in the description to get all the links we have mentioned in the show today. I think that's it guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the survival show. Keep it simple, be positive and stay sharp.